Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday. I'm starting announcements just like a minute early. That way you don't you get less of me and more of Shannon. Um, welcome to Bible study. My name is Taylor. If you are um, here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And if you are a consistent um, goer of Bible study, welcome back. It's good to see you too. I don't have too many announcements this morning. Um, just a reminder. Um, that we have the podcast and we also have the videos up on YouTube and the website. We are having an issue with Apple Podcasts at the moment. For some reason, they're not hosting the new uh, podcast episodes, but you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Google, and you can actually play the audio right through our website. So do me a favor and go to the website first, because I promise you that's always updated with the YouTube and the audio message, and then you can go from there. There's also links for Spotify, um, and you can search it on Google, and it should pop up for you. So hopefully we have that resolved um, this week but it's been a pain. Um, as always, uh, please check her Instagram and her Facebook for updates, and uh, the new episodes and messages will be out on Thursday. The, as a reminder, if you'd like to give to Shannon's ministry, we have donation cards out in the lobby, um, so you can come find me after service. If you'd like to mail in, uh, we also have envelopes and stamps that are provided for you as well. You're also um, able to donate via text, so you can text uh, 52014, or you can go to her website. Um, we've had a great turnout for kids so far here on Tuesday mornings. We've had eight babysitters here every morning, roughly about 25 to 30 kids. So that's a huge praise. Um, but with that comes a big uh, financial expense. So if you know someone who is interested in donating to that um, or giving towards our babysitting, um, that would be a huge blessing, and we're going to be praying for that. Um, other than that, Shannon doesn't have anything this weekend. Let's give her some rest, um, give her lots of prayer, cover her in prayer. I know that she needs the rest because October is crazy for her. So please lift her up in prayer um, that she will get some rest and that this weekend will be relaxing for her. Great to see you all, and I hope to see you back next week. I don't know. Did I turn it on? <laughs> I can't remember if I turned it on or not. Oh, my God. Good morning. How y'all doing? Everybody's good? You know, we, I, Taylor and I always meet before, and it, you know, I hate to bring up giving stuff, um, but here's the deal, because I, I don't like dealing with that. That's why most people talk about it and not me. But here, here are the brass tacks of this situation. I am absolutely uh, invested in having these babies here so that I can get their mommies here. We need young moms to be at Bible study, you guys. It's huge. Um, but just to give you an idea of an expense that I have this year that I haven't had in the years prior, and the more I do and the more people that get involved with ministry that are a part, you have to be able to pay for that. And so to give you an idea, my babysitting cost right now is about $2,500 a month. Okay, so that is a new thing that has come, and so I want to be able to keep doing that, and so that's why we always ask, if this is a ministry you want to be invested with, and if you're like me, I'm not good at keeping up, but come on, just commit to me your Starbucks money and have your coffee at home, okay, and, and get online and if you can, if you can't, I'm not talking to you. I, I'm good. I know. I remember when I couldn't. Um, do a recurring so that you don't have to think about it, to be quite honest, and so that we can count on it and uh, pay these busy bees because, you know, in times past, when ministry, when women's ministry used to be at churches, all right, let's just be honest, that's how I grew up. Churches had women's ministry, and with the women's ministry, the kids' ministry stepped in, and they watched the kids. Whether or not we like that it's gone, it gone. All right? And so now other things have to come in, and we have to now run like that. And so we have to give to this kind of a ministry for women's ministry and honestly true Bible study um, and our kids need to come because we're not a national 
thing uh, where we get volunteers from all over and all of that. It is just our local women's ministry, which means we need to be able to take care of our kids. And part of the reason we do busy bees is because they are vetted. And I don't want to risk our children. And not that I, I would pick bad people, but you know what I'm talking about. And so you have to pay for that. And so that's why you're probably hearing more right now about, hey, donate to Shan. It's not so I can have, you know, something better or new shoes, okay? It's, uh, I, I, I got that covered. And uh, it's so that we can stay strong as a ministry. And I don't have to come up here and say, okay, now we're in a pickle uh, of continuing. And I know y'all like sitting in Bible study, but now we're going to have to background check you all because you're going to have to, uh, like, help in the kids program, okay? I don't want to have to do that. So if you would, get online, set up some recurring, and let's get this thing to where we can count on it, and it's funded, and I don't have to worry about the $2,500 a month that I'm spending on childcare. That's just the brass tax. So if we were in a business meeting, that's what I would tell you, all right? Now, after all that, I'm going to pray, and has anybody, is anybody dragging kind of like I am? Anybody? Okay, so I'm going to pray for some Holy Spirit power up in this place. All right, so that's going to be good. And then uh, we're going to jump in because I don't know what it is. You know, um, last week, you know, it was my son's birthday, and I appreciate all your prayers. It's something about the anticipation of it is horrible. The day itself, I don't know if I just ignore it, but I typically get through the day. And then I have like a hangover at the end. And I didn't get to stop because I had to preach somewhere on Sunday. And um, so, but you know what? That was good. You're going to get a little of it today. So let's pray. And then we're going to dive in. You got your notebooks? I hope you do. Because today I'm actually going to stop for a minute. And I'm going to let you do some pondering to think just through some stuff. Um, So if you have those notebooks, get them ready. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, that you sit with us um, through every season, every moment, every emotion. Lord, I thank you that you care about our heart. I thank you that you do care about emotion. You actually encourage us to pour it out to you, to allow you to share in the experience of what we're feeling by our words and not just assume you know. That by telling you our words and our emotion, that's what a relationship is all about. And so God, I thank you that you're there through all of it. But more than that, Lord, I thank you that you're the anchor of my soul. And despite my emotion, there are truths that I can hold on to. And I thank you for my heritage. I thank you for my upbringing who taught me those basic truths so that I had something to build on and sometimes something to reconstruct. And so, God, I just pray that as we experience Bible study together, that the roots of your word will go really deep in our heart. And every week we will be amazed at this narrative, this story that says a lot about who we are, but mostly about who you are. You are a faithful God, a God who is filled with loving kindness and gentleness, um, a God who has come after us from the beginning of time seeking a relationship, and a God who has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell in us so that we could have dynamic power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. In case you have not uh, watched the series on sexuality at CCV, I want to encourage you to do so. I don't know if you've been a part of it this last weekend, but I'm telling you, I think it was one of the best series um, I have seen on that. This last weekend, uh, the guest speaker was awesome. I thought it was so deep It leveled the playing field. It applied to me as much as uh, anybody else, and it was so awesome. And one thing I think we need to be uh, leery of 
is when we go hear different uh, speaking and teaching, sometimes we are so used to being entertained for 30 minutes. You know what I'm talking about? That we can't quietly sit under the depth of teaching. And so I just want to encourage you, you know what? Uh, Stretch yourself. Listen to some teachers that maybe aren't your style, but the teaching is so deep and so good. Open up a book or a commentary that expands your knowledge. Like, so what if you're reading something that you understand about every third line? Okay, do you realize that the more you do that, guess what? You're going to begin to understand. Every good teacher I ever had pushed me beyond what I knew. And there was something in me that thought, I want to know what he knows, or I want to be as smart as she is. And it pushes you. Instead of us dumbing down expectations of learning, let's keep the standard high, right? Let's meet that. And this is what we do in Bible study. Sometimes I talk about things that are like, you're like, right? Whoa, what was that? But guess what? The more you're in contact with that, the more it's going to begin to make sense because it's going to keep coming back around and you're going to explore it and begin to understand. Okay, let's keep being students. Let's not just sit in what we already know, but be able to go a little bit deeper. All right? And part of that, most of that is the job of who? The Holy Spirit. And last week, we... uh, We talked about the fact that at this moment in Scripture, you know, Jesus has been with them after his resurrection for how many days? Forty days. Teaching them about the kingdom, explaining how he is the fulfillment of Scripture all the way from uh, the writings of Moses, the law, through the prophets. And we talked about, my goodness, what would it have been like to sit at his feet like that? In that kind, I mean, that's seminary, people. I mean, can you imagine the just the mind-blowing um, understanding that happened with them? And, and, and they're so full of zeal. And he is telling them to be his witnesses, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the parts of the world. And they're filled with this zeal and they're ready to go. But then what does he tell them to do? <laughs> wait, wait. Why? Because they need to wait to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about what kind of power was that. And I told you about the, uh, the word dynamis, and it's where we got the word dynamite. It's this explosive power. And it brings back to our mind what Jesus was saying in the upper room of, you think our relationship is coming to an end. People, it isn't coming to an end. It's just getting started. You ain't seen nothing yet. Boom! It is a dynamite, explosive power that is about to explode onto the world. And we're going to see here at the beginning, they start with about 120 people, which I think is interesting. It's the 12 times 10. And then you're about to see a great multiplication after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling them to wait on this dynamic power. And we talked about last week, this isn't a power like political power. Do you remember? Which is basically an illusion. What is political power? It's an illusion. It's this illusion that we can actually bring about true change in humanity. Not so. We talked about it's definitely not going to be through uh, armies or war because that's just a transfer of power. That's the same situation. It's just different people uh, take over power. It's not money. And it is not even laws. You cannot legislate the heart. Really, where are you going to stop? Ask the ancient Jews. How many laws does it take to try to legislate the heart? When you put up one guardrail and it doesn't work, what do you do? Oh, okay, well, let's get a little tighter. Let's get a little tighter. Let's get a little tighter until you're in a box surrounded by, you know, 
three jillion laws, you can't legislate the heart. And if you were to ask somebody in the secular world today, they would say, well, what actually changes things in this world? And they might say what? An idea. If we can change the thinking, then we can change the behavior. Well, what is that in, in spiritual terms? Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. But instead, be transformed by what? The re this is not a new idea. No pun intended. Okay? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It all starts with the renewal of our mind. The fact that we come after Jesus, real change comes when the Holy Spirit uses the gospel, the power, to regenerate fallen men and women, causing them to repent. What does that mean? Change their mind, change direction, right? And seek righteousness, to seek a right relationship with God. And then how is that lived out? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is that? Because we live out that kind of regeneration in the earth. We live out on this earth as if it, the redemption has already come true. What does it look like, a completely upside down kingdom? We're going to impact them by our love. Jesus says, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. I'm not even going to read it to you. In John 18, you can go, John 18, verse 36, I think it starts, where Jesus is saying to uh, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. If it was of this world, my people would be fighting for me to be seated on the throne. It's a heavenly kingdom. And he says, you truly are. He said, the people who listen to truth, who understand truth, will follow me. And do you remember what he says? What is truth? And then he goes out there and he says to the people, he goes, let me tell you the truth. This man, he's innocent. You see, I think he recognized a king when he saw one. I think it's what John chapter 3 is talking about. Nicodemus. You're the teacher of Israel. You will not see the kingdom unless you are what? Born of water and spirit. You were born again. There we have Ezekiel 36 and 37 again that I talked about last week. The idea of the true redemption of Israel is when God restores Israel and they are washed with water and then they are washed with the spirit. God said, I will pour my spirit out on you. I will put my spirit within you. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And then he describes this redeemed world right here on this earth. That is what we're a part of. And the only way that can happen is for the Holy Spirit power within us exhibited to the world. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do what? Nothing. The word witness, wit means to know. A wit is a knowledgeable person. A witness is one who knows something and testifies about it. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit will be our witness Think about this. Is that going to be in word or deed? Both. What do you think is the most amazing one? How we live. Exhibited in how we live. Is this about behaviors? Well, it can be, but I think it's more about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control to be like Jesus, to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute, that blows people's mind. Okay, we're caught up. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of, 
out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, a man stood by them with white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Then Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I think we talked a little about this last week, the fact that he was lifted up. He, he wasn't taken up into the heavens, uh, past earth, past Mars, into some, you know, far solar system. He was taken into God's dimension, into the reality of God. Do you remember how last time we talked about that God had created? There are two realities of his creation. There's a heavenly reality and an earthly reality, and they crossed where? In Eden, to where in this realm was the heavenly and the earthly. And in our created being, we were made in the image of God, alive in the spirit. We could walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. But because of sin, what happened? We died spiritually, cast out to be in the earthly. And yet God always pursued. And, and how did the heavenly and the earthly come together? In the tabernacle, in the temple, we see it happen in Jesus and now currently happening where? in us. And so they see him taken to the heavenly realm, God's dimension. They see him taken up in a cloud. That cloud should speak to this because the cloud symbolizes God's presence. Can you think of times we know that? Remember, this, is, this whole story, this narrative, the Old Testament has been pushing forward to this. So we have all kinds of signposts uh, pushing forward to what is coming. One of those would be the cloud by day and the fire by night, representing the presence of God. How about the smoke that filled the temple, the presence of God? How about uh, the fact that this is literally the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7? which y'all better know, right? Where it talks about the son of man being taken up on a cloud before the ancient of days and that he is given full dimension, dimension, full dominion and an everlasting kingdom. So what are they seeing here? They are seeing him ascending as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he has done absolutely, it is finished, everything he set out to do. And now he is ascending to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He is going to be seated on the throne. Did you know, I thought this was so interesting, um, which all of that was fulfilled. All of Daniel 7 was fulfilled in that moment. That when a Roman emperor died... It was common that someone would step forward or needed to step forward to say that they saw the spirit of that emperor being taken up into heaven. And did you know that Titus, who was like the emperor of Rome in the first century, if you go to the Arch of, Arch of Titus, I believe it's called, um, if you look up, it's carved out and there is a depiction of the spirit of Titus being taken up into heaven. And so what was it saying? That the emperor was becoming God. And then that was convenient. Because the next person or their son that came, their heir, would be referred to now as the son of God. Well, that'd be very helpful if you're trying to take over the world, right? To be known as the son of God. But listen, Jesus did not just, he wasn't taken up to heaven in the spirit. We had a real, it's reality, bodily resurrection. He resurrected, and do you remember last week how we talked about that he didn't just come to restore Israel as an earthly king of Israel. He came not only to uh, restore Israel, which he's true Israel, right? And we're going to see that the 12 represent, the 12 apostles represent this new uh, Israel, but that he came to restore, to restore true humanity. He is the first fruit of true humanity 
flesh and spirit alive, our debt is paid. And so that is why when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us and we are made alive in Jesus. We are that new creation in Christ, and we're going to see that. I think it's funny how in Christianity today we talk so much about the death and resurrection but we don't talk about the ascension very much. At least I didn't hear that a whole lot. And so I think it has to do with our idea of salvation. And remember how I've taught you so much that I think in some ways we've watered it down in the sense that we've made it just personal, you know, that I'm a sinner, uh, I, uh, my destination is hell, there's no way to save myself, but Jesus came and was sent to be my sacrifice on the cross to pay my debt, um, and he died and he rose again so that I could have life eternal. And it ended. But the truth of the matter is, right, all of that is true, but what did he do? He, he came preaching about a kingdom that we're a part of. And the promise from the very beginning is that there would be a king and a redeemer who would come who would restore all things and would eventually come where? Here and would redeem all of creation and make all things right. And that's where you get this picture of the lion laying down with the lamb. There's no longer poor. There's no longer all of those things because it is all redeemed. That is a part of the ascension. What it's telling you is, yes, I have paid for sin and death. I have resurrected. I have brought in now a heavenly kingdom who you may be a part of by faith. I have now gone to be seated on my throne. I am the king. I am ruling, but guess what? You're a part of the redemption of this world. You are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. It's not just, I'm going to be saved so I can be taken out of this place into some celestial heaven, so I don't really care about this. I just have to endure this until I'm taken out. No, I am here because I have a call. I have a purpose on my life, and that is to live out this heavenly kingdom and to love people and to pick up my cross daily and what? And follow him and be a part of that. And that's a part of what the ascension is representing. Verse 12 says, then they went back. Oh, and, and so from now on, don't ever, ever sing. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down, right? And every chain will break, cause broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion. I mean, come on. How do your, do your guts just sing out the more you get to know the depths of this scripture? Because what happens is when you sing songs like that, all of the stuff that you learn through the years, I can't tell you what's happening in my body or in my mind. The, the scenes that I have going back every time they start to sing those kinds of songs. It, praise comes out of all this. You can't separate them. And so don't ever sing that any different. I, I'm like, I could just picture so many times, you know, Israel coming out of Exodus and the freedom. And that's us today. It says, then they went back to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which is close to Jerusalem, about a distance you could travel on a Sabbath. They then entered the city. They here means Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and went to the upstairs room where they were staying. And they all gave themselves single-heartedly to prayer with the women, including Mary, Jesus's mother, and his brother. I'm not going to teach a full-on sermon on that, but do you see the unity there? There's no division. There's no walking into church and seeing men on one side and women on the other. There was no only men could pray. It was unified. God had redeemed all that sin had us lose. 
They were joined together in a calling to bring about the kingdom of heaven. They devoted themselves to prayer. N.T. Wright says, well, it's obvious, isn't it? It is precisely in worship and prayer that we, while still on the earth, in a sense that I've explained already, find ourselves sharing in the life of heaven, which is where Jesus is. I can relate to this maybe on a, in a deeper sense. I think through the loss of Zach. Because when I'm thinking about their longing for Jesus and their closeness and the fact that he was taken away from them and their desire to be with Jesus so much, I can only relate personally to that through my son. And I, I know that's different. But there is a sense that when I want to just be with him, you sit quietly and you, you kind of close your eyes and you go to this different place. It's like my son is in the heavenly realm. He's there. He's alive. And so, and my life takes place in both. And this isn't some weird, you know, ancestor word, nothing like that. It's, it's just like a longing. And so in prayer or in that heavenly, it's almost like I'm there. I'm with him for a while and, and you can be in that spot because I'm alive in the spirit. I have access to the heavenly realm through Jesus Christ, although I'm still on this earth. So when I think about the disciples and all the time they spent with Jesus and how they long to still be with him, and this is new, I don't, don't go over the grief. He's still not with them. And so they are devoting themselves to be in that realm, to be close to him, to still be talking to him, to still have that kind of relationship. And that is what they're doing. Um, the constant references to prayer and acts are a sign that this is how these very ordinary ordinary, frequently muddled, deeply human beings, the apostles and others with them, found their story was being bound up with the story about what Jesus was continuing to do and teach. From the ascension on, the story of Jesus' followers took place in both dimensions. Do you understand that your story, if you know Jesus, is taking place in both dimensions? That is what it means. Fix your eyes on Jesus. No, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off anything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You get this idea that in another reality in the heavenly realm, there's this, <sighs> go. And I can, I'm sorry, but I can picture my son when I'm doing things going, yeah, go, use it, mom, use it, go, you have to. And so they are devoting themselves to stay in that spot, to stay in prayer. Around the time Peter stood up in the middle of the gathering, which by this stage numbered about 120 my dear family, he said, the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David about Judas, who became a guide to the people who arrested Jesus. There it is in the Bible. It had to come true. He was counted along with us, and he had his own share in the work we've been given. Judas, you see, had bought a field with the money his wickedness had brought him, where he fell headlong and burst open with all of his innards gushing out. Yuck. This became known to everyone who lived in Jerusalem so that the field was called in the local language a, a keldamak, which means blood place. For this is what it says in the book of Psalms. Let his home become desolate and let nobody live in it. Hmm. You see Peter emerging into his leadership role. Uh, you see Luke in all his glory, in all the specifics of Luke. I love the fact that he says about 120. I know that's just a dork statement. But he is so precise that he's not going to write down a number unless he knows that it was exactly what? 
120. I just think that's so, I, I, you can count on Luke. He's like, don't, you know, don't hold me to it. But it was about 120. Okay, the room was full. They have devoted themselves to prayer and the scripture. You see, for them, the Old Testament wasn't just, um, you know, like I read my scripture because I'm supposed to. Old Testament was an active story. For them, the Jewish Bible was not just a record about what God had said to his people of old. It was a huge and vital story. And that story was what? Continuing on. And now they were going back, reading the story, and seeing fulfillments in it. And so they realized there were so many signposts all along that had been pointing to who? To Jesus. And now when they go back and they begin to read the prophets and all of the poetry, they begin to see how all of this has been fulfilled in Jesus and it, it is all coming alive to them. And so now they're going back realizing that these prophets, these writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to, read, to write what they've written. And so can you imagine? They go into the psalm. Peter is reading the psalm. Why? Because the psalms teach us to pray. That is why. The psalms teach us to pray. The psalms give language to our emotion, which is so interesting because the majority of the Bible is really not about emotion. Don't we say that a lot? It's not about feelings. It's not about our emotion. It's about the truth. Uh, what do we say? The heart is a liar, right? The heart is deceitful among all things. Who can understand it? So we talk about that kind of stuff. But the fact is we have emotion. And emotions are important. They're like breadcrumbs that you follow back to find out what is happening inside of you. And the psalm gives language to emotion. Do you realize that a third of the psalms are laments? A third of them. Over 50 of the psalms are laments and it's filled with sorrow and pain. And you want to know what the majority of that pain is about? It is about the disconnect we feel when what we know about God, we are not experiencing in the present. And I would call that a crisis of belief. And if you have not ever been in a crisis of belief, there's not been a lot of growth. Because unless you sit down and you really evaluate, and a lot of times we don't let young people do that. We just want to tie their stuff up in a bow and tell them what they're supposed to think and say, ignore your feelings. No, let's sit in the rub. Let's sit in the disconnect because the psalmist did. When everything you know about God to be true is nothing you're seeing or experiencing. So what's next? So what I want you to think about is if you're Peter or you're the disciples, what has just taken place? Think about all that they have seen and been through. You want to talk about trauma? Do you understand the trauma they saw happen to Jesus and his crucifixion on the cross? Trauma. Do you not think that Peter lived with, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, why didn't I, blah, blah, blah. Lord, I've about drowned in that. What do you think they felt about their friend Judas? They loved him. And he betrayed them. A sorrow for him because he's now what? Dead. And a rage towards him. I want you to sit in it for a little bit. I want you to write maybe in your journal just for a second. Just sit in that spot. I'm going to make you do it because you may not do it during the week. 
And if you're listening to this online, I would love for you to stop and ponder that as well. Uh, you won't hear the pause, but really put yourself in their spot. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to think about what Peter is experiencing in that upper room as they are praying and searching the scripture. I cannot help but wonder all the different feelings and thoughts that Peter had as he read through the psalm. He's, he's quoting two psalms here. He's quoting Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. I wonder if Peter, who, you know, has, is kind of known as this uh, protector of God, he was the protector of Jesus, right? Remember? He's the one that pulled out the sword and cut off the ear. Um, I'll, go to the, I'll go to the death for you. He, he, that's Peter's vibrato. Like, he's going to be Jesus' protector. And I just wonder if he thought, here I was slicing off an ear, and how did I miss the betrayer for three years? How did I miss it? How did I not see it coming? Hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? I'm going to tell you what, in the depths of grief, you can look back and you could say, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I see this? How did I miss that? And so I think that as he's reading through the psalm, and I'm going to read through some of them, I believe for him it is like reading the journal of Jesus because they view David and David's enemies as an antitype of Jesus, the true anointed one. Here are some of the stuff that he read, and you're going to hear some lines that had to have literally given him chills as he read it. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Uh, I want to say one more thing real quick. People sang these psalms for a thousand years. From the time that David penned it to the time that Jesus proclaimed it was a thousand years, and, and a lot of these were put to music, and they were sung. Why? Because it was the expression of emotion, and it taught people how to express their emotion, and so they sang it. Very often in grief, I would sit and I would sing songs that expressed what I could not express when I was trying to get a hold of myself. I would break in a song and I'd be like, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. I was so glad I knew things to sing and to hold on to that could express things I could not even express other than groaning or maybe music. That is the expression of the psalm. It gives emotion a language. Emotion cannot be stuffed. Trust me, if it could be, I'm the master at it. I stuff it so that I can do my job. It, it won't stay stuffed. It will crack. You will crack. You may say it feels like anxiety because you can't describe what emotion it is because it's too intense because it's been stuffed for so long, but emotion must come out and God knows it and therefore we have the psalm. And when he proclaimed that psalm, I'm going to tell you the psalm he proclaimed on the cross. That is what he was saying to us. So in this psalm, it says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Can you imagine being Peter and reading this? It's like reading the journal of Jesus. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? <laughs> oh God, you know 
my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. That's the words of David. But remember, our sin has been placed on Jesus. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through you, O Lord, God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Do you remember that they brought that up when he cleansed the temple? Oh, they remembered it said, zeal for my house has consumed me. All of this speaks of Jesus. He goes on to continue to express um, all of his pain. And in 19, it says, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comfort, but I found none. Can you imagine how Peter is feeling? And then it says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. On the way to the cross, let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. That's what he just quoted. Peter is feeling all of these feelings. Look at Psalm 109. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me <clears throat> with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Then there comes to be a venting. Appoint a wicked man against me. Let an accuser stand at my right hand. When he has tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may be cut off the memory of them from the earth for he did not remember to show kindness. And it goes on down to say, uh, let me find the quote. At some point, I can't find it. May his position be taken by another. So I want you to experience what is happening in that upper room. We overlook it. Like, oh, he is alive, so there's no feeling. They, they've been through nothing, you know, nothing has happened. They are waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is gone. He has ascended. And they are coming back with all their emotion and they're reading through the psalm. And this is what Peter is doing. He is leaning into the heavenly realm and he is reading through these psalms, realizing that they are speaking of a coming redeemer. And he's feeling all the emotion that David felt, all the sadness and the sorrow and the pleading and the anger towards the enemies. And all of that is present. And I want you to understand that Jesus felt those things too. Because Jesus, as he hung on the cross, do you remember what he said on the cross? That's from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Do you realize that in Psalm 22, the majority of that psalm is emotion. Most of the time when we seek God, we are mostly petition and very little emotion. You want to know why? Because we think, oh, he already knows. He already knows how I feel. 
So you just go straight to telling him what you need him to do. But what do we learn from the psalm? There is a valid reason of putting words to emotion. Relationship is telling someone how you feel. And so, my goodness, we pay $250 an hour to learn this. To get all of this out when it's right here in the Bible. That you are pouring out to God your emotion. That you're getting it out. It gives it language. Some people thrive in not having emotion. That's not good. We need to have it. And so here in the, almost the entire 22nd Psalm, the first half, is all emotion sharing with God how you feel. There is very little petition. Only 19 through 21 is petition. You want to know what the emotion is about? God, you can answer, but you don't. Have you ever felt that way? You could do something about this. You could answer me, but you don't. Matter of fact, everything I know about you from all of my ancestry is the fact that you are a good God, a loving father, and that you rescue your people. <laughs> Why do I feel abandoned? It goes on to say, oh, and by the way, while you're silent, I can't stop hearing my enemies. I can't get you to talk and I can't get them to shut up. Have you ever been there? And by the way, a lot of times your accuser is where? In you. I mean, this is just absolute pain and suffering and isolation and grief. Oh, and by the way, in Psalm 22, it says that you were like a midwife you were there from my birth. You caught me. And then you taught me how to trust. I couldn't have trusted if you hadn't laid me on my mother's breast. You taught me how to trust. And so now, you brought me this whole way to dump me now? It's the same idea as the Israelites in the wilderness. You brought me out of Egypt just so I would die in the desert? Really? It's all this pain. When he quoted this psalm, he was feeling it all. That's the point. All of this. And then he goes to petition, help me. Save me. That's all he says. Help me. Save me. And then he goes into praise. Something has happened. As he has gotten out his emotion and he has asked for help, something happens and there is a transition there and he speaks the truth. And let me, re let me read to you one of the things he says in the 22nd Psalm. It says this, For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. I cannot stand it. When people preach that on the cross, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That it is because God the Father turned from the Son. No. No. You, do you honestly think God the Father turned from his Son at the greatest hour of his need? No. You cannot break up the Trinity. It is impossible. The fact is, Jesus could not be our great high priest who is acquainted with all of our woes unless he felt this disconnect that I'm talking about. When the sin of the world was placed on him, he went through all of the emotion of the pain and the sorrow that all that brokenness brings in comparison to what he knows. That disconnect. This is what I know, but this is what I'm experiencing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm so glad that he experienced that so that he could sit in that with me. Because we all have to get to that place of a crisis of belief. And then we have to remind ourselves of who God is. And the fact is he does not turn away from his children. 
He is there. And I know that Jesus believed that because what did he say right after, my God, my God, why hast thou, thou forsaken me? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He knew he was there. I want you to understand. I don't want you to read through these stories and not sit in them and not understand that these were real people that went through one of the greatest traumas ever and the greatest excitement ever, mind-blowing that Jesus was raised from the dead and they had watched him ascend. But now they're sitting for 10 days in prayer and reading the scriptures still seeing what he's been teaching them for 40 days, that he is the fulfillment of all that. How did they miss it? Feeling the emotion of his absence, feeling the emotion that Judas killed himself and then fell out and his in inward parts came out. All of that trauma and feeling all of that kind of emotion and waiting to be clothed in this kind of power. That is what is going on. When is the last time you sat in that kind of depth, in quiet, reading through the psalm, looking back, seeing where you are, leaning into that heavenly realm, asking God to reveal things to you, to change you, to get you back on track, to fill you up, to be a witness to the world from about what he is doing in your life. And what is he doing in your life? I mean, honestly, sometimes if we're not crawling on our hands and knees, I, what, what's going on? Comfort isn't a great thing. Peter emerges. I love this. Good old Peter. Have you ever been fired up? You experienced something? Like you've had that moment, and then what do you do? You come out of it ready to do something, right? That's how I am. Y'all can always tell when study's been good, right? He knows. He comes out ready to do something. We got to pick a 12th. That's what we got to do. Because he read through all of the anger. Did you hear that? Yeah, and made this happen to that guy and this happened to that guy. Have you ever been hurt and betrayed? Yeah. Make their womb dry up and may the IRS come after them and may all of this and may the land be desolate. If he's a farmer, may nothing come up and all of this stuff. And his, no one's ever going to live in that spot again and this whole thing. He went through all of that emotion, but he comes forth knowing that something needs to happen. And what needs to happen is they need to pick a 12th. So he comes all out of that emotion. Okay, emotions are important, but we're not slaves to them. There comes a point we have to move on. And he stands up, he has felt it all, and now it's time to move on. Moving on can be a very hard thing, and it, it, it is a very good thing. If you've had that uh, traumatic event, whatever it is, there comes a time where you have to feel it all, and then you have to what? Move on. Part of the pain is the world moves on whether you want to or not. Okay? But there's good in that. Because as believers, if it moves on, the story moves on. And trust me, you want to move on. Once you're able, you want to move on. You want the story to move on because what's at the end of it? Hope. And that's what they're seeing. All of this has taken place. They have spent these 10, 40 days with Jesus, 10 days leaning into that heavenly realm, searching the scripture in prayer. They have spent that much time. They have dealt with it. And now it is time to move on. And they feel like the way to move on is by picking a 12th. Why would that be? Well, in their view, if Jesus is true Israel, right? Called out of Egypt, he went through the water, he was tested in the wilderness. If this is the restored Israel that we talked about last week, that is a part of what? Restoring all the creation, then they're missing a patriarch. All right? It needs to be 12. And so what do they do? 
Well, they look at who has been with them from the baptism of Jesus. Why would that be? Because to be honest, that's when he's been anointed king. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's when he steps into his role. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he was, uh, what did God the Father say? He's it. He is my son. I am pleased with him. And so that's where it starts. So it had to be someone that was from that point, followed Jesus, and was also an eyewitness to what? The resurrection. Because that's where it's at. Let me read you one last quote. I got to find it first. Oh. The church is either the movement which announces God's new creation, or it is just another irrelevant religious sect. The church is either the movement which announces God's new creation or it's just another irrelevant religious sect. Their job was to be the eyewitness of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He was the first fruits of that new creation. And that is why all through scripture it says that we should be sharing the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Okay? Not just you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you will go to heaven. That's not the complete story. The story is, here's the reality of what I created. Here is what got broken. I have fulfilled my promise to bring the true king who came and showed us what his kingdom looks like. He then paid for what we lost was sin. He conquered sin and death. And he redeemed it all. Bodily, spirit. And he has been seated on his throne. If you put your faith in him, he will redeem you by making you alive in Christ Jesus, by awakening you in the spirit, indwelling you with the power of the spirit of God. And what does the Bible say? I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. I am new. And I'm going to live in that realm on this earth until when? Either I die and my spirit goes to be in the house with God until his coming, or I remain and watch for his coming because he is coming to do what? Redeem it all. And when you hear the whole story, you have purpose. Our kids need purpose. Somehow, they've got some gospel in their mind that is all about behavior. And them. them. It's all about them. Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Everything's about them. And it is not what Christ Jesus has done to make you new so that you can pour out to them. And they don't have a purpose and something to belong to. And so it, we got to get the story right. Right? We got to get that story right. Any questions? Nothing? How many of you love the Psalms? I'm going to be honest with you. I never did way back. I, I, really, I thought, gosh, what are you even talking about? You know, like I just felt like it was a lot, a lot. Like, could you just shorten this a little bit? Could you just shorten this emotion a little bit? You know, this is a lot of stuff. There is absolute value. You've got, you got to feel those emotions. And we're not good at it, and therefore the Psalms have lasted over these thousands of years for people to sing along. Because let me tell you what binds us together as humanity. Pain. Suffering. The disconnect. 
At some point, I had to decide, right? I had lived through an agony. But where was I going to go from here? He has not despised me. He has not turned away from me. He is there. And he will walk me through. Part of the fact of the story going on is that I truly claim that, you know what, I love that song, I am confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That means two things to me, honestly. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. My joy is not over. I will have joy here and grief all at the same time. But those little joys remind me that one day what? He will come and all things will be made right. I long for that. And I promise you, if you do not sit and lean into the heavenly like they have learned to do, your eyes will get off that. And all you will see is this nonsense. And it'll suck you dry. Right? Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you, God, that we just get to move through it. We get to chew on every word of it. We get to realize that Peter, James, and John, and the boys, they're just human, just like us. They have emotion, they have regret and failure, but they have incredible hope. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. We have access to the heavenly realm because of Jesus. Lord, may we remain in the vine. That is the only way in this realm that we can exhibit the fruit of the heavenly realm. We have to stay plugged in. And so, God, I pray that we would be committed to sit, to breathe in your spirit, to be quiet. If we're pent up with all kinds of emotion, you want to hear it. You want to. You show us you want to through the song. You, you gave us that example. You shouted it out. So pour out that emotion. But God... Remind us of the truth so that our grief and our pain can turn to great praise and joy. We sure love you. Don't know, can't imagine life without you. Can't imagine it. Thank you, God, that we have a glorious hope to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen.